0: You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. The only people for me are the mad ones.
1: The world is filled with the boring and the barely conscious.
0: And misery loves company.
1: But we don't have to live this way.
0: Jessica and I are here to talk to those the system rejects, to radicals and thought criminals,
1: The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing. push the boundaries of acceptable discourse.
0: Those who stare reality in the face and dare it to be different.
1: History isn't made by the timid, and fun is not had by the perpetually afraid.
0: We are the Mad Ones.
1: So let's get to it.
0: Welcome to the Mad Ones. I'm your I-totally-used-a-sharpie to, to draw a P on my arm in high school, just like Jack Sparrow had that brand on his arm in Pirates of the Caribbean post. <laughs> what Cam a Harless. nerd. Yes, I was. <laughs> and with me as always is your totally would have been a terrifyingly short pirate queen back in the 1700s hostess, Miss Jessica Green.
1: <laughs> I would have been a terrible pirate. I get really seasick. So <laughs> I feel that piracy is not the life for me. But Uh, I appreciate the vote of confidence.
0: (laughs) Well, there there are so many cool things that we're gonna talk about. I feel like with people like Blackbeard, like and the aesthetics, I could totally live in that world. I've got the beard for it. I would I would love that. But uh, before we get to our very piratical guest, I did want to remind you that we have sponsors. We've got Run Your Mouth Coffee, R Y M Coffee.com, 10% off their bourbon barrel coffee fantastic you can get the other stuff too i'm recommending the bourbon barrel um use promo code the mad ones we also have jerky felon.com they have great flavors you use mad ones at checkout there get 10% off as well also jessica reached 10000 followers on twitter today and so i feel yeah. like i need to say congratulations for that because i will never <laughs> get there and um i well, I, I envy you <laughs>
1: I didn't, I didn't graduate college, but I got 10,000 <laughs> followers on Twitter. So, hi, mom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, to get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, it's time to introduce our guest. Uh, we're joined by a historian and expert in all things pirates from all time periods and geographic locations, an author and a TikToker who shares her expertise and passion for scalawags the world over, and how the pirates and their... Pr- prosecution, not persecution, but kind of uh, changed America. Uh, Dr. Rebecca Simon, how are you doing?
2: Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, thank you for coming on because it, what's we used to talk about like the news and stuff back in the day, and I got really bored of doing news type <laughs> shows. And so when we got away from that, uh, there I was just like, I want to talk about things that I find interesting. And I found your TikTok and I saw, and I heard you say, I'm a doctor. I have a doctor, a PhD, and I I talk about pirate history. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was a thing. I was a nerd who drew a pee on his arm in high school. (laughs) I've got to talk. And, you know, like the end of this month, in two weeks, we're talking to a guy who got attacked by two great white sharks Mm
2: -hmm. at the same
0: time. Wow! And it's like, we never could have done that. And so I'm very excited to talk to you. And the I way he
1: approached questions. me with it, the way he approached me with it was so funny. He's like, you want to talk to a pirate doctor? And I'm like, a doctor who works on pirates? He- <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. I can see how it sounds that way. <laughs> Either way. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I will say for those watching who care about my intake of libations, I am rocking the parat rum. Cause I felt like that was apropos. So, we're we're in a good place. I have questions and some of your TikToks lately, actually, you mentioned some of the things that I wanted to talk about. And so I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. So before we get into the meat and bones, meat and bones, what am I? I already said meat and potatoes. I guess I try to mix things up. Um, How do you get into being a pirate historian? Because most people don't land there. And I find that fascinating. (laughs) So how did you go into pirate history?
2: So I, it really was from, I guess, like kind of two ways. I, I was casually interested in pirates when I was younger. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, born and raised. We go to Disneyland like every year. And my favorite ride was always Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I'm a big water person. I love the ocean, love to swim. And I just thought it was fun. And then in 2003, the first Pirates Caribbean film, The Curse of the Black Pearl came out and I loved it. I was already a massive fan of Johnny Depp. And so of course I was going to go see it just for that reason alone. And I loved the movie, but that just kind of, you know, it was casual. I didn't really think about pirates again until I started grad school. Cause um, I was doing a master's in history and kind of had to figure out um, a focus. And so we, at my university, we had to have two, areas of focus. And I was really interested in both colonial America and early modern Britain. And I was like, how do I do both? And then one of my professors who was new started a a field called Atlantic history, which Mm -hmm. combines it all. It's the time period I love, which is like 1700s, um, known as the long 18th century. And it covers early exploration and colonization and slavery and everything like that. And we read a book called Villains of All Nations by Marcus Rediker. And he basically argues that pirates were seen as terrorists and the British started a war on piracy uh, as a way to eradicate pirates using kind of their own terrorist tactics. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. How do we go from terrorists to Jack Sparrow? And I kind of wanted to explore this and I thought it would just be an interesting subject. I mean, honestly, if you asked me when I was younger, if I would go into maritime history my answer would have been (laughs) absolutely not, that's boring. Um, I want to do other stuff, but nope, I got into this field and I'll never leave. I absolutely love it. So it just kind of just kind of kept going from there. when I finished my master's, I was looking at perceptions of piracy. And uh, it was about Treasure Island and how Treasure Island changed the way we looked at pirates. But people already did have a fascination about pirates before that as well. And I continued that into my doctorate because I wanted to go further. And that's where you have to get very specific. And I researched public executions of pirates and how that changed perceptions of piracy and changed British law And their colonial relationships with their american colonies
0: right yeah there's that little blurb on your website where it said it um changed the way the the colonists viewed autonomy Mm -hmm. and i was like that's right up my alley i would love to hear how that works if you if you're if you're willing to delve into that a little bit
2: absolutely absolutely so um yeah the legal history part of my research was also unexpectedly some of my fa- favorite. If you ever asked um, me, would you ever do legal history? Again, I would have said, absolutely not. And I loved it. So um, it's really interesting stuff. So in the 1600, colonists and the different colonies for the most part kind of ran themselves. They had their own law courts. They had their own law systems. Yes, they were all part of Great Britain. They had specific charters and these charters could get revoked for specific reasons. They There were plantation colonies. But here's the thing, a lot of, col- But for, like I said, for the most part, colonies had their own legal systems, and they were able to rule themselves, pretty much. Well, in the 1650s, Britain is competing with Spain to try to get different plantation islands, um, particularly Jamaica, very much fought over. And so as a way to try to cripple the Spanish economy, Britain blocked, uh, banned all trade from any other nation except for Britain. Its colonists could no longer trade with anyone outside Britain. So what do they do? They turn to pirates because they want to get these goods coming from other places. And pirates are robbing indiscriminately. And also, this has kind of turned into a whole war between Britain and Spain called the Anglo-Spanish War in the 1650s and 60s. And so this is also a good time for piracy because everyone's distracted and pirates can kind of sail in and out. So a lot of colonists were happy to work with pirates. Governors would either look the other way or sometimes even outright finance pirates. And so this worked pretty well until... Britain wanted the, um, met, went on a massive campaign to eradicate piracy because they won the war. They signed a treaty with Spain called the Treaty of Madrid in 1670, mostly just humiliating for Spain and pretty much only benefit Britain. Britain gets Jamaica and in return, they promise the Spanish that no British pirates will ever attack them. So they have to basically get rid of piracy. So one of the things they do to try to eradicate piracy is they know the colonies are dealing with pirates and this has to stop. So they go in and they say, you are no longer allowed to consort with pirates. If you do, you will be counted as a pirate and charged as such. You must arrest pirates and put them on trial, just like we do it in England. You have to do England's law exactly. And this really Mm -hmm. upset colonists because... One, it yeah. stopped a lot of their trading opportunities. And two, it took away their legal freedom. They couldn't, they couldn't practice the law the way that they wanted to. And so this really caused a lot of resentment to start building up from the turn of the 18th century.
1: Yeah, I, um, in my limited uh, education on pirates, I noticed that there seems to be a very thin distinction between a privateer and a pirate. And usually they were interchangeably the same people depending on whether they carried a license to do what they were doing or not. Could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, of
2: course. So what you're talking about is a letter of Mark. And this was a contract between a government and pretty much a maritime mercenary. And what this contract does is it specifies we want you to rob these specific enemy ships ideally in this specific location. So let's mm-hmm. say we want you to rob all front attack all French ships in the East Indies because they're disrupting mm-hmm. our trade with India, for an example. That's just an example. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so they're known as privateers. They're basically mercenaries operating underneath this license, which they must have, and they get to they get paid by the loot that they steal. They get to keep about 80% of the loot. And mm-hmm. a lot of Former privateers would turn to piracy, not all of them, but a good amount. And this is because, you know, yes, they had a contract, yes, they're working for the government, but they still have a lot of their own freedoms and it's adventurous. They're going to different locations, but the money is really good. And right. the privateering was really huge during wartime, especially during the War of Spanish Succession, which was between 1701 and 1713 um many former pirates were hired to be privateers because a lot of the war was fought on the sea and the idea was you're really skilled sailors and you're good fighters that's what we need we'll give you a pardon meaning you will be all of your crimes will be erased and if you become a privateer for us the war ends and then the vast majority of privateers go unemployed overnight and Many yeah. of them continued. And this enters into kind of a major stage in what we call the golden age of piracy, where we start to see the major pirates we've pretty much all heard of. This is where we yeah. get Captain Hornigold, who is a major privateer in the war. Blackbeard was his protege. Charles Vane, Jack Rackham, they all fought in the war. Um, so a lot of veterans become the really famous pirates in um, after seventeen thirteen. So really you, you, int- you, you,
0: you mentioned letters of mark, and it I immediately went to the Constitution in Article One uh, that talks about uh, issuing letters of mark and reprisal. Yes, and so this was actually built into the Constitution in yes. some way. And that, that I never, I wouldn't have made that connection. And so mm -hmm. I'm very happy you said that, because my brain went, wait, that's that's in the Constitution. Privateers are in the Constitution. And that's, and a lot of times, the only time you'll hear about letters of mark and reprisal these days are when people talk about like, um, Osama bin Laden, for instance, where they said instead of trying to, sending the military here or there to get him, they should have put out letters of mark and reprisal Mm -hmm. and had essentially pirates go Mm -hmm. and find him and take him out. And so that's, that's fascinating to me. I'm, I'm very happy you said that because that's connecting my little history because I, I did a lot of study in con- the Constitution. Yeah, in my back in my day. Uh-huh. And so I like, I'm not a historian by any stretch. But you tying that into my knowledge is like, mind blowing to me. Now I'm thinking about pirates.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Do you mind if I actually go into that real quick? Because I, so- love I love and hardly ever get to talk about so, I would love okay. it. Let's do that. Because <laughs> yeah. I did a whole chapter in my doctorate, which I haven't been able to do much, yet, um, do much with yet, about uh, piracy in the American Revolution. And a big thing was this idea of, pri- of privateering. So, yes, there is privateering in the American Constitution that a lot of people don't realize about setting up the way we do privateering, who can be privateers, what the laws are. And what's kind of funny is those laws are practically identical to what Britain's laws for privateering were. They basically took that from Britain's laws. Now, what's interesting is that during the American Revolution, a lot of it was fought on the sea. A lot of people don't realize that. It wasn't just land-based. A lot of it was Mm -hmm. maritime-based. And the Continental Congress initially created their first constitution, and in it was a thing about privateers. And Britain refused to recognize any privateers because they said, you are not a government. The Continental Congress, you are Mm -hmm. not a country. This isn't a legal document. So anyone who is acting as a privateer is going to be arrested and tried as a pirate. And oh, damn. This was really hardcore. Of course it really upset the colonists, but oddly enough what's interesting is that there were even lots of people in Britain who thought Britain was going too far. They're like mm-hmm. now you're just playing with semantics. And this is going to yeah. actually cause a lot more trouble and make this war a lot more expensive if you put a mm-hmm. lot of time and energy into that. So, really interesting stuff. I don't get to talk about it much, so I just <laughs> wanted to kind of speak about oh, it. Oh, no, a that's
0: sec. that's great. That's like like I said, I you saying letters of mark, I'd never really looked into them. I mean, I knew it was about privateers, but I never made that direct connection somehow. You ever have that happen where you're like, wait, I knew this, but I didn't know it until someone else said oh, it. All the
2: time. All the so time. So that's what I just had.
0: <laughs> and I appreciate that. That's why I have a show so that people can make, connect things that I should have connected myself. So thank you. <laughs> you're
2: welcome.
0: Have you, did you happen to read, there's a, there's a book by um, a historian. Do you know who Thaddeus Russell is?
2: Yes. Yes, the name's familiar. I have so many books. What's the name of the book you're thinking of? His book
0: of? is uh, A Renegade History of the United States.
2: Uh, okay, I've heard of this book. I do not own it, and I haven't okay. read it, but I know of this book.
0: Yeah, we had we had him on our show, I, was it last year? No, mm, it was this year. Maybe
1: February.
0: It was It was a while back, and it, it, he, I, I don't know if we talked about it, but one of the points in his book, he he mentions Pirates and the it's about early America, obviously. Uh-huh. And um, one of the things that you also uh, there was a TikTok you had, I think it was yesterday where someone was talking about um, female pirates, I believe. And someone said something about sex. And you were like, I didn't <laughs> say they didn't have sex. <laughs> yeah
2: uh-huh. and,
0: <laughs> In 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 Thaddeus's book, it was he was talking about how a lot of the uh, pirates ended up being gay. Mm hmm. And, you know, that that you could see that within these port cities and stuff like that. And so, like, that's what I know. But I don't know what you know. And so even though, you know, that's sex is a taboo subject, apparently. (laughs) I'm curious uh, because you have a your next is your next book out yet or is it?
2: It will be out in the first half of 2022, the official release date, like the publisher Pen and Sword History is doing their official marketing conference for the first half of 2022 publications next month. So that's when I get the release date. So that is a biography about the female pirates, Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Read, and I go into a lot of gender and sexuality um, amongst pirates. So in terms of homosexuality amongst pirates, this... It's it's such an interesting subject because historians yeah. debate this all the time. And um I, I don't know is I don't know if that is as a historian or not. Um but
0: he's 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 a renegade.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah so it's a, interesting, and this isn't a knock historian. against this is not a knock against anyone who's not a historian at all. Yeah. This is mm-hmm. not like that at all. But a lot of people who aren't historians do tend to subscribe to the whole like all pirates were gay or many, many pirates were gay. Um historians fall in two camps that there are zero gay pirates, no such thing. It's kind of more old school idea. Or that, um, yes, absolutely. But that's more kind of fringe, really. The reality is, it's kind of in the middle. In terms of the percentage of gay pirates on a ship, it would be about the same percentage as the amount of gay coworkers you have in any place of business you're in. Mm but here's the thing, and it's so funny, is I actually, right before this, I actually did record a TikTok video about this subject, because a lot of people have been asking me about it. When I checked, yeah. I think it was still, I think it's still under review, TikTok. Um, yeah, <laughs> TikTok. it's still under review. Come on, TikTok, get it up TikTok, there. It's a good one. TikTok uh,
0: pulls down my videos anytime that I mention Sean Aston, because I, I, it, it's a long story.
1: He loads Sean Aston. I don't, Sean I don't oh. like Sean and Astin. He bullies him. And TikTok I, is probably I, in the right to do that.
0: Well, no, it, so, <laughs> Long story short, Sean Aston dropped my motorcycle and pretended he didn't. So it was a, it's a personal thing. So I'm not a big Sam fan. did
2: this? Yeah. Yes. It, 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 so it, look hurt, it this. hurt me.
0: Um, but... Uh, on TikTok, every now and then one of the uh, you've seen them. All, every now and then, when someone's like, "Who's a celebrity you met that yeah. uh, wasn't good?" or mm-hmm. and so I I stitched one of those. Right. and I just said Sean Astin. <laughs> That's all I said. <laughs> I didn't funny. say anything else. And and there are people who love Sean Astin so much oh,
2: if you don't that <laughs> they
0: they automatically report me and those things get taken down. Oh my gosh! And I have to fight them. Anytime someone asks me about it, I have to fight TikTok to say that i don't like (laughs) that's so funny
2: (laughs) um but um kind of going back to um homosexuality on the pirate ships here's what's kind of interesting is that during the 1700s the concept of homosexuality didn't exist um Mm -hmm. their sexuality actually didn't exist at all Mm -hmm. um it just had to do with relationships but by the 17th century um same-sex relationships between men was known as sodomy and this was a punishable offense. I believe Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's why TikTok has my video under review is because I said the word sodomy.
0: Oh, that makes sense.
2: Come on TikTok. Anyways, so, so, um, and what's also quite interesting is that in terms of same sex relationships for women, that wasn't even a concept that existed because the idea was sex is only sex if a man is involved. So that's a whole other subject. (laughs) I, I, I I talk about that in my new book. But so what was, what would have been like, um, were there gay pirates? Yes, there definitely were some, we just don't know exactly who would have been because there's no yeah. records like that. There sure. was, um, and there, sorry, there were these kind of um, partnerships known as matelotage, And that's what my video is about specifically, matelotage. And this is literally a civil union between two pirates. Hmm. The captain on a pirate ship had total legal jurisdiction to create legal contracts and also marry people. Um, yeah. And it would be totally legal, at least on the ship. So what these matelotages did is you could argue that they were gay marriage. You know, they love each other. They want to be married. Most likely the majority of them were con- kind of like um, transactions between two pirates to make sure that if they died, their goods would go to someone specifically so it wouldn't get lost or fought over or so he could make sure that the goods would get delivered to his family. Now, there were some who did this also because they were very bonded to each other and wanted to leave all their goods to that person, essentially creating a will and having them becoming legally bound. Some were probably for love. We just don't know who. There is um, a case, a specific one in... um, Found in the High Court of Admiralty. I was actually looking at this a second ago. It's one of the only <laughs> matelotage agreements that still exists. And it's between a man named Francis Reed and John Beavis in 1699. And it basically just kind of outlines it. So just to kind of won't read the whole thing, but just yeah. to summarize it, it yeah. basically is saying, you know, be it known that um, to all men present here that Francis Reed and John Beavis are entering into consortship together. Um, in case there's any sudden accident that should happen to either one of them, that what gold, silver, or any other thing shall lawfully become the property of that other person. Hmm. Um, and right. signed, they both sign the document and everything like that. It's in this book. It's really cool. If you want to look at primary sources of pirates called Pirates Pirates in Their Own Words by E.T. Fox. Yeah. During the pandemic, this book has been a godsend because I haven't been able to get to libraries and archives. And this is full of primary sources. So
1: one thing that kind of strikes me is I noticed that um, in earlier times, there were platonic love uh, between males Mm -hmm. that we don't really recognize today. There's always this urge to put sort of a sexual spin into these uh, platonic love relationships that existed between men that would have been much more common in centuries past yeah and we look at them now and they kind of strike us as like oh is that a gay partnership is that a gay marriage right it's hard to tell though i think because there were these um sense of platonic male love that we don't Mm -hmm. have now um sadly sad to say i mean there's like bro relationships that kind of mimic that but there were like bonded male couples who were not sexual with each other, but mm-hmm. ne- nevertheless loved each other dearly.
2: Yes. And there's yeah. lots of letters between men in all times of time periods where they're using very affectionate, loving language that they mm-hmm. might use for their wife or a fiance or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and it's very similar. You know, some people speculate, oh, it must be because they were gay, but it's, no, it's just the way affection yeah. was done. Like, you know, even today right. you go to Europe, certain European countries, you know, two men kissing each other on the cheeks. It's a standard greeting, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, or like kind of showing a bit more physical affection with your close friends. Like it's, right. you know, it used to be very standard. It was just part of especially what was known as polite society, acting gentlemanly and using this lofty language. But we mm-hmm. also do have to be careful because there is a lot of gay erasure in history. So True. Um, yeah. we don't know. Um, In terms of these loving letters, some are just because they're very close, very bonded friends, others, perhaps because they might've been something more, but again, we're just never going to know, Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is a a shame one, because in a way it wasn't illegal because homosexuality wasn't a concept yet, but the sex acts between um, two men, like I said, was known as sodomy and that was a sin in the Bible and therefore punishable by the law.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, I think that's a great point. There, there isn't any way to know, so you kind of have to make your own inferences. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably you'll find someone falling either heavily into one camp or heavily in the, in the other. When the likelihood is probably about the same rate as you were saying, probably about the same rate as you would have today. Yeah, we just didn't recognize it back then. And right. So I think that's interesting. Um, it's a lot more that- nuanced.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say it's a lot more nuanced because a lot of people, you know, will, will tell, will say to me like, you know, all pirates were gay, right? And it's like, well, no, that's like going into any sort of place of business or any sort of, um, group or community and assuming that they're all gay unless, you know, well, depending on, unless of course you're in an LGBT community, but even that is, um, you know, they have their own culture. More nuanced nuanced than we're led to believe. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I've seen, you know, little blurbs online, you know, like little, um, text boxes, like on Twitter and that sort of thing that people have sent me all the time, asking me to clarify like, Madelotage is gay marriage. And I'm like, it's more nuanced than that. Um, It's easy to call it gay marriage. For some, it would be the equivalent, but not for all. So very very nuanced.
1: The impression that I get of um, the pirate life, and I think that this probably, I don't wanna speak for everyone, but I think this is like an overarching belief is that, pirate life offered something of a bit more freedom than others would experience in the sort of like proper English society of that day. Like um, there were a lot of really hardcore social restrictions, things Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't recognize as normal today, but that pervaded life then. Whereas on the pirate ship these things were kind of um, a lot looser and people were able to exist a lot more freely. Yeah, And that's how we end up with like these female pirate leaders um, Mm -hmm. in positions that you know, in the Navy, you wouldn't have women captaining ships, but on pirate ships, there are notable female pirates. Could you tell us a little bit more about sort of like the equality that women may have experienced on the pirate ship? Sure. So
2: the first thing I need to say is that female captains on the pirate ship was the exception, not the rule. It was actually very uncommon. And the vast majority of women who were kind of captains on a pirate ship were really kind of their spearheading a major, a lot of them were queens, former queens or um, wives of major leaders. And they would often kind of be the head of these pirate ships, but more so in terms of trying to think of the right word here. I wouldn't necessarily call them captains, but they were there kind of making a lot of big decisions with somebody else. And, but it was a place for a lot of marginalized people to go in general, the pirate ship. So on the pirate ship, For the most part, it was different in a lot of them, but generally, for the most part, if you went onto a pirate ship, you're pretty much an equal person. You know, It Mm -hmm. doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter who you are. All you have to do is just be willing to sign what's called the pirate articles or the pirate code, as we think of it, and (laughs) declare yourself to be a loyal pirate and be brave, willing to fight and be able to work on a ship. Those were pretty much all the requirements. So a pirate ship was going to be the most diverse ship you'd ever find in the maritime community. About 50% Mm -hmm. of the population on a ship was about um, British American colonists, um, white British American colonists. The other half, whoops, sorry, my dog. (laughs) The other half would have been, um, you know, from everywhere else, you know, various European countries, Southeast Asia, and a lot of Africans as well. And right. people, of all social classes would be on pirate ships, and they all got equal distri- um, equal pay in a way. All goods were distributed equally, different tiers depending on your rank on the pirate mm-hmm. ship. So um, <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> it's like a child, I swear. Um, <laughs> different ranks. So the captain would get like one and a half shares, captain and quartermaster. And then you would have the really skilled officers would get like a share and a quarter. And then Mm -hmm. you would have kind of everyone else getting one share, but everybody getting that one share got the same share. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. you know, different salary placement. Um, and in terms of women, women were very much the exception to the rule on pirate ships. In fact, a lot of pirates did ban women and it was not because they thought people Uh were bad luck like a lot of people assume. <laughs> like uh, in
0: Pirates of the Caribbean.
2: Yeah, that's, right. that's very much kind of out of maritime mythology and that there are female-driven figures in mythology, such as the mermaid or the siren, who are said to lure pirates to their death, lure sailors to their death. And so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Manatees. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Because um, a lot of people, <laughs> when they saw manatees the first time, thought that they were like some sort of human fish hybrid, hence where the term mermaid yeah. came from. And what's... Also interesting though, is that, so it's specifically in the Pirate Articles, women weren't allowed, and this is because they were afraid that bringing women on ships would cause disruptions, um, you know, mostly jealousy and arguments amongst the men in a very sex-starved mm-hmm. place, you know, and it could yeah. be violent yeah. for women. So yep. Anne Bonnie, and Mary Reed are really interesting. They sail with Jack Rackham, Anne Bonnie, in 1720. Anne Bonnie is married to Jack Rackham. She's his wife and sails with him. Mary Reed was brought onto the ship. And legend has it that she was disguised as a man. This isn't true. Um, they knew she was a woman when they brought her on because mm-hmm. the governor of the Bahamas, Woods Rogers, issued a proclamation uh, for the arrest of Jack Rackham and the female pirates, Anne Bonnie, and Mary Reed. So that tells us that everyone knew she was a woman. Why was Mary Reed allowed onto the ship? We don't know. I'm sure it's because Anne Bonnie had influence. She was a very influential person on this ship. Um, and so as Mary Read, they were both very skilled fighters, very brave fighters. But what's interesting is that in terms of other wi- very well-known female pirates, all the other major ones we know of, such as um, Teuta in the ancient world, um, Awilda of Scandinavia, who may or may not have been um, mythological figure, we're not positive. Um, sayida Alhura out of Morocco in the 1500s, Grace O'Malley in, Ireland in the 1500s, Madame Chang um, in China in the 1800s, all of those women came from royalty or a very high chain of command. So hmm. they already had the status. So um, Saida Alhura was married to a couple of different governors, like not at the same time, but a couple of different <laughs> governors in, of Morocco. Tayuta was married, um, what was a queen. Awilda she might; she's probably a myth, but she was um, daughter of the king of Scandinavia. You have Grace O'Malley, who was the chieftain's daughter of the specific cl- of her specific clan in Ireland, and she was very powerful. And Chang Shi, she's also someone who wasn't married into royalty, but she and her husband became extremely powerful in the seat. But Anne Bonny mm-hmm. Mary- mm-hmm. came from nothing, and mm-hmm. kind of happened to Anne Bonny marry someone in this life, and Mary Read somehow comes into this life, but we're not sure. She's much more of a mystery than Anne Bonny. Anne Bonny's got a lot more documentation than Mary Read does.
1: So Mm -hmm. does this um, distinction of pirate queen, is that related to the fact that some of these women were in fact queens or had royal status, or does that mean something separate in pirate world? So um,
2: when you're thinking pirate queen, it's um, that kind of implies in terms of reality that the women were queens, basically. When we say the, kind of the word pirate queens, it's a little bit more facetious, really. It's just kind of like, huh. you know, these are the women who ruled the pirates. And so right, the name right. of my book is called Pirate Queens. Um, the mm-hmm. lives of Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Read, And that's a bit facetious, but it's because they were so powerful and they were so well-known. Um, and because also it was just so unusual to have powerful female pirates really present in history that of course mm-hmm. they're queens like in in that sort of facetious way. It um, doesn't have really a deeper maritime-y. <laughs> right, <laughs> meaning, so they wouldn't...
1: They wouldn't at that time have been known as pirate queens no. to their to their people or to anyone else. No, right. It's yeah, gotcha, kind of a modern gotcha. thing that we've done. As far okay. as <laughs> okay, <know>. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. Go ahead. I
0: don't. I don't want to be the most um cliched bearded man on the planet, but Blackbeard fa- Blackbeard fascinates me. Yes. And part <laughs> of it, it may have been one of your TikToks that I I learned this. Um, was that he despite the myths he wasn't particularly violent right. because he he cuz that when i learned that he rolled up saltpeter and had it in his beard and he would light these candles yeah. so that he would be incredibly menacing like a demon walking onto a boat so that people mm-hmm. just you know he yeah. wouldn't even have to fight him that's fascinating to me i'm yeah. like how do i how do i make this work in my beard mm-hmm. um could you tell <laughs> me a little bit about that because yeah. there is the the idea that pirates were all these absolutely savage, brutal killers on the water. Yeah. And you've butted up against that on TikTok and I'm I'm fascinated.
2: So Blackbeard is yeah, he's definitely one of the most infamous pirates who ever lived, really specifically honestly, because of his beard. Um he's a really fascinating figure. That's what I'm
0: going to do. I'm going in- <laughs> to get by on the beard only.
2: And here's the reason is because um, socially speaking, the 18th century was kind of a period known as polite society, where no matter what class you were, you were striving to kind of be a gentlemanly figure. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that made you present yourself as a gentleman was having a clean shaven face and hair that was either short or tied back or even covered completely by a wig. Now, a lot of pirates were very um, subversive and Mm -hmm. Blackbeard in a way to deliberately strike back against this social expectation. Um, He deliberately grew out his long black beard. It's went, you know, some say halfway down his chest, probably more like here, Um, you know, hard to maintain in the Caribbean and really long hair. And yes, he would put in these little things in his uh, beard to um, light them on fire. So they would kind of spark and smoke and this, You know, how he got famous, looking like he came out of hell. Now, here's the reason for this. That's correct. Blackbeard was not that violent. In fact, until his epic final battle in which he died, he never killed a single person as a pirate and heavily, heavily discouraged his men from killing anyone. And here's the reason. It's surprising because if you've got pirates who are being killed um, or if you're killing other people, then your men are probably going to get killed, too. And Mm. this is going to attract a lot more attention. People are going to come after you're you going to become much more of a target. And also you're going to have to work to try to replace your crew. You're going to have to force people into your crew. And that could be very complicated because a lot of forced men will never be loyal. So what pirates wanted to do, especially Blackbeard, is you want to get in, plunder and get out as fast as you Mm. can. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. Blackbeard nailed this. And what he did is he used fear and intimidation. So scare people into submission. Frighten people so much with both your looks and your reputation that they're going to surrender absolutely immediately. And this worked. And this is what made Blackbeard famous. And it's interesting because Blackbeard actually wasn't that successful of a pirate. He did have a major capture. He captured the um, French slave ship, La Concorde. This um, is said to be like his major capture, major success, blah, blah, blah. The reality is um, he pursued the French Concord for three days and the slave ship was kind of on its way to get, you know, had enslaved people in the ship. It was going to sell them, but they were no match for for Blackbeard. And so they literally were like, okay, fine. We'll sail away for a few days. Oh, we can't outrun him. All right. We'll just give him the ship. Um, It wasn't even an epic battle. It's kind of funny, but (laughs) Blackbeard takes a ship and renames it Queen Anne's Revenge, but that's a whole other thing. But yeah, so Blackbeard did have this long beard and he used this fear tactic and intimidation to make himself very, very, very well known because a lot of these pirates really depend on this reputation because you mm-hmm. want people to surrender to you ASAP.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have, oh, we have a question. Did he have a brother who was a governor
2: or mayor in a coast town in North Carolina? No, not as far as I know. I think that's a bit of a... Um, some rumor but he did what he did is he actually married a woman in North Carolina because he took a pardon and actually laid low in North Carolina in a town called Bath for about eight or nine months and then he broke his pardon and went back out pirating again but he married a woman named Mary um but as far as I know no he didn't have any brothers who acted as governor um he was the protege of Benjamin Hornigold, who is also kind of a father figure. And Benjamin Hornigold is the one who established Nassau as a pirate kingdom mm-hmm. in the Bahamas on the island of Providence. But in terms of a brother, no, I, 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 I haven't even heard that before. Interesting question. But the answer is, as far as I know, the answer is no. Well, one and of that's, the-
0: Go ahead. I was just going to say that, that uh, tactic of intimidation is something that um, I believe in myself because I'm a (laughs) I'm a very kind and affable guy but I'm I'm all about making people who don't know me believe that I'm capable of anything just because (laughs) uh, you know you you never know who's walking around and you know you don't want them to mess with you so you you have a big beard you've got tattoos Uh people aren't gonna bug you um when I was uh in college I had a girlfriend and I've told this story before but it made me Blackbeard made me think of this um who she was working with a guy at a uh, zaxby's i don't know if you have those they're uh, chicken strip restaurants
2: no i've never heard of it and eh. um
0: yeah they're okay um so uh he tried to kiss her at work and i got very Ooh. frustrated and angry and i was like tell me who this guy is i want to talk to him and that's what i meant i wanted to talk yeah. to him um but she was like no don't do anything don't do anything and i was like okay fine um and then like two months later she calls me and she says, Cam, uh, would you like some free food? And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And so I jump on my motorcycle. I have my beard. I've got long hair. I've got my, my black leather vest on, which let's be honest, the, the bikers are the pirates of America these days. <laughs> Selfie but,
1: image, the Yeah. <laughs> but,
0: um, so I was, I was, I'm not really like a biker. I was never in a club or anything, but, uh, I, I got on my bike and I rode to the Zaxby's and as I'm, Pulling in, I back my bike into a parking spot, and I see her and this guy. I had never seen him before, so I didn't know what he looked like. And as soon as I get off my bike and start walking towards them, he j- he jumps up, runs to his car, peels out, drives away. And I walk up to him. <laughs> you and I was blackbearded like, what was him. That? I was like, "What was that?" And she <laughs> oh goes, gosh. "Oh well, I told her my boyfriend. Uh, I told him my boyfriend was coming to talk to him." And and I was like, you've got to tell me these things beforehand. But that was easily the biggest masculinity boost I've ever had in my entire
1: life. (laughs) walking
0: up and watching a man run away. And I'm like, I want to be Blackbeard now. This works for me.
1: (laughs) So I I have a um, sort of pirate related question. I Mm -hmm. got the impression from, of course, the uh, Johnny Depp movies, which is what everybody knows about piracy now, um, that they have this vast... um, set of lore that almost takes on kind of a religious reverence that they'll like believe in these like sea tales and, oh, uh-huh. and and monsters and different figures that um I don't know if you go as far as to call it like a religious uh, feeling uh-huh. but definitely seems to be something that they quite believed in that was mm-hmm. extracurricular to maybe like the prevailing Christian beliefs of the time right um, is there, can you speak to that and is there like a great source that you would recommend to like get to know the sort of like, um, the pirate lore, the unknown pirate lore?
2: Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a really interesting question and the Pirates of the Caribbean film really build a lot on these on this maritime mythology, and I think mm-hmm. they actually heavily exaggerate how much pirates adhered to a lot of the mythology. Ah, and this has okay. to do with, you know, women being bad luck on ships, and um, certain magical bits with the treasure, and the idea of a ghost ship, the Flying Dutchman, um, mm. uh, the Kraken, um, Davy Jones's Locker. Now. These mm-hmm. are all actual maritime phrases. Davy Jones's locker is a real phrase, people said. Um, mm-hmm. But it didn't really have um, like any sort of mythological symbolism behind it. It was just, it's a maritime term. We're not actually even sure where it came from, um, possibly as Dutch origins. But no one, the mm-hmm. first mention of it was like in the early 1700s, really, late 1600s, mm-hmm. early 1700s. And that was the word simply meant for the bottom of the sea. Um mm-hmm. In terms of the kraken, this comes from Scandinavian lore, and this is kind of a big mystical sea monster that most likely people saw giant squids while they were sailing and had no idea what it was because the kraken looks like almost like this octopus figure. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's going
0: to be one on this arm. I mean, (laughs) I don't know if you noticed all the art on my arms, but there's the space right here is reserved for a Uh giant squid or a kraken just so nice. you know.
2: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, the like I said earlier the the mermaid and the siren those are pretty prevalent um as Parts of maritime mythology, especially the idea that you know, according to lore, that they were going to send uh, you know, lore pirates into the sea and drown them. Um, all sailors are terrified of dying; they're terrified of drowning. So the vast majority mm-hmm, relates mm-hmm. to that. In terms of the ghost ship, this also is a piece of maritime lore of a spectral ship that has been cursed that and will never ever make it to port, and thus is intending to wander through the seas. And the legend has it, if you came across the ghost ship you were going to, your ship would be destroyed probably sometime the next day. And again, this all comes Ah. from the dangers at sea. Um, You know, things that you might see that aren't there, like kind of a mirage effect. It's very lonely. It's very isolating. It's a very terrifying job. So Pirates of the Caribbean, (laughs) what I love is they take this mythology and they really weave it into the films. They really, I don't want to say exploit it, but they illustrate it so brilliantly. Now, (laughs) by this time period, going into the 1700s, this real almost kind of religious belief, um, uh, to quote you, uh, in terms of how much pirates <laughs> followed that, this, not really so much. Um, it was business, it was work. Yes, you're always going to have your superstitions, and some were probably more superstitious than others, but in terms of religion in general, pirates were actually known to be very irreligious, They Mm -hmm, would mm -hmm. swear, they would curse, they would blaspheme, they, you know, refused to take religious counsel when they were um, put in prison, because all prisons had a spiritual counselor, um, and a lot of pirates refused to listen. Most sailors weren't religious, just because life at sea didn't really afford it, and... Mm. um, there wasn't really a place for it. You know, there was no church. Um, the life was rough, and there's no real so- outside society there to dictate how they're going to live. Now, in terms of kind of this mythology, uh, there is a good book that covers all of it that I was just looking at the other day um, Seafaring Lore and Legend by Peter D. Jones or Jeans, probably Jones would say that. <laughs> um, and this is cool because it's basically a collection of like every single maritime lore you could possibly find. Cool, um, really, really, really interesting. So I definitely recommend that if you want to kind of go deeper and read what the different legends are. And it doesn't just apply mm-hmm. to pirates; it applies to all mariners. But something to remember also: pirates were mariners, and they were sailors, mm-hmm. so they all kind of mm-hmm. believe the same thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of like um, going back and forth between sort of like uh, military sailors and pirates, or these worlds did not often collide. Did they have animosities toward each other? You like mean how like the Royal how, Navy? yeah, right, like the Royal Navy or yeah. you know d- more official seafarers. Oh I yes, would say. yeah. Oh
2: yeah, definitely. So um, there was actually a very specific legal institution called the High Court of Admiralty, and their specific role was well. They were established to be in charge of all things maritime. They had jurisdiction Mm -hmm. over every body of water, starting as early as the 1200s. But um, starting around the time of Henry VIII, and especially going into the early 1600s, the High Court of Admiralty became specifically in charge of persecuting pirates. So you had Admiralty officials who were the ones who were um, uh, issuing notices and proclamations to Get people to try to capture pirates. You the Royal Navy would go after pirates when they could. Mm-hmm, the Royal mm-hmm. Navy was actually really busy and they didn't always want to spare their resources going for pirates. So a right. lot of people like governors and the High Court of Admiralty depended on pirate hunters, which were people specifically employed to capture them. And these were often former privateers. And some of them might've even been pirates at one point and took a part in. And they were the ones who would know the places pirates would go or where to get the information from. So they depended a lot on these types of people. But pirates were a massive thorn in every single legal institution's side. And there was a major campaign to stop piracy at all costs, but it was very expensive and resources were stretched quite thin. So the Royal Navy... Mm -hmm. Would go after pirates, but it was the High Court of Admiralty that kind of issued all the laws against pirates and tried to get you know figure out who could actually go after the pirates, setting up courts to have people find pirates and deliver them to the courts. So it was kind of like a big you know it takes a village effort. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Um, let me ask: um, when it comes to mass media that portrays pirates
1: mm-hmm.
0: has there been an example of a movie or a TV show or anything, a book that or particularly visual. So let's say movie or TV show that if people watch it, they will actually gain some kind of understanding of the pirate life
2: mm-hmm.
0: m- more accurately than otherwise.
2: So, um, in terms of fiction, black sales, I love that show and okay. they do a really good job. Now, it's it's interesting about Black Sails is because it's a prequel to Treasure Island, so it's historical fiction, but it also includes many real life pirates as main characters such as Jack Rackham, Charles Vane, um, and Bonnie. You've got Other pirates are always kind of showing up, you know, Ned Lowe, who in my opinion is the most sadistic and terrifying pirate who ever lived, had a role in the second season. Blackbeard shows up in the third season. Now the timeline is completely messed up. The show takes place in 1715 and most of those pirates weren't in Nassau for a few, for a few more years, but it works for the Mm -hmm. show. But what I really like about it, especially the first season, a lot of people I know thought the first season was boring because it just went into so much of the nitty gritty details of what pirates had to do. Um, It brilliantly shows how pirates would attack a ship and it shows that it was actually a lot more organized than you think a lot of scare tactics a lot um in, in order to get people to surrender but then the pirate captain the other captain took care to negotiate with each other you know bring me your inventory bring me your ship's log i need to know where you're going i need to know what you've got and then the captain's like okay we have this plunder you can take all this stuff the pirates like we also want this stuff and it's like actually very organized negotiation mm-hmm. it also it also really shows what's Pirates would do if they felt their captain was doing a bad job. They could vote out their captain if they wanted to. Mm. And these show this in black sails. And a lot of their time on land was spent getting provisions, actually working with investors, because a lot of pirates did have investors um, to get plundered goods coming in. They show what it's like to careen a ship, to, you know, clean it off and fix it. Um, the politics, the intrigue, you know, it gets it starts getting a bit more um, dramatic as the series goes. Mm-hmm. But I do very much feel like it demonstrates the realities of lives of pirates and also people living in kind of these big pirate communities in Nassau and also kind of the roles women played and what the realities were for women as well. So right, right. that one, I, it, that's probably my favorite thing to be able to recommend to people. Um, I'm trying okay. to think what else. I do like the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. I think they do a lot of a really good job, particularly with all the maritime mythology. Um mm-hmm. yeah, those are the two that I really recommend. There honestly hasn't been very much good pirate media.
0: yeah that's what I would that's assume. that's why that, that's why I ask because I'm like, I feel like when I'm watching a lot of these things, I haven't seen black sales, but when I've watched a lot of these different takes on it, even the uh, video the Assassin's Creed video game, mm-hmm. I'm just like,
2: that's actually pretty it, good. That, that game from what I've seen. Yeah, I haven't played it myself, but my brother made me sit down and watch him play it once. And (laughs) from what I saw, and I did research the game, because I do talk about the game in my book, um, and I researched the game. I didn't have time to play it. I'm terrible at all video games. And (laughs) they actually do get a lot of details correct. And I know the makers of the game really worked hard to be as authentic as possible. And they've done that with other versions of Assassin's Creed, I know. So um, they do get like the names of real pirates in there. So they do a pretty good job. Um, so that's definitely a good video game to play. Um, a lot of people have asked me about this anime show called One Piece. I think almost every video, at least yeah. one person comments asking about this anime show. It's like a thousand I'm episodes. Not an,
0: I'm not an anime guy, so I can't. I
2: Yeah, I'm not I, either. I watched one episode and it seemed interesting, but it was a bit chaotic for me. But that sounds it like anime to me. I feel like every time <laughs> I've
0: tried to watch anime, I'm like, why is this so chaotic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: but Black sails um, and the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. Rest of the franchise, eh? But the first yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean film,
0: right? Well, and just as as someone who I, I studied film in college, mm-hmm. and it, it made me an, a, a big critic. But I was so mad at the next two ones, the next two Pirates movies. I don't think I saw the the one after that, or I think they're they're making there two more. more. Yeah, it's like they're and they're currently making another one. Poor Johnny Depp. By the way, let's yeah, just say what a situation.
2: Uh, he's all um, he's got right now. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I don't want to get in this discussion, but I'm really hoping his career will come back because yes. he rightfully was innocent of
0: everything. Yes, he I. I, agree I with will
1: single handedly make sure his. <laughs> I will watch everything he puts out a thousand times so yes. that so, he can come so, back. <laughs> so
0: is is Tortuga in Pirates of the Caribbean essentially mm-hmm. uh, a take on um, Nassau?
1: Nassau? Yeah. So Tortuga was a real
2: place and it was a place okay. where pirates would congregate. But it's funny. A lot of people think Tortuga was the place pirates hung out. It it, it was a pirate haven, but it wasn't really like very active compared mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. Port Royal in Jamaica in the 1600s. Um, Port Royal was known as the pirate haven until 1692 when a massive earthquake caused a huge chunk of the island to collapse into the sea and the Royal Navy came and swooped in and pirates scattered and then many started fighting in the war of Spanish succession a few years later. It's after Mm. that is when Nassau in the Bahamas becomes the next major pirate haven. Tortuga Mm -hmm. existed, but it's not nearly as popular as we think. Um, I'm not even really sure why they picked Tortuga. Um, I think it Australia just location.
0: sounds probably a lot more exotic than yeah. Nassau. Hi,
2: ready. <laughs> but also what's an interesting detail as well is that they're coming out of Jamaica and Tortuga actually wasn't that far from um, Jamaica. It's like modern day Haiti, Dominican Republic, I yeah. think, kind of over there. Um, I always forget. But um, it, so Same it's not that far. Good. And Disney does like to have good details. The Bahamas going to Nassau, which would have been more accurate, is actually quite far. So, it gotcha. would have made a lot more sense logistically to go to Tortuga. So, I do like that detail. But as a result, everyone I know is like, What about Tortuga? And I'm like, I did do a TikTok video about it, actually. They're like, What about Tortuga? <laughs> and I'm like, Not as popular as we think, but yes, it existed.
0: Um, so, I have two questions for mm-hmm. you, um, which are very basic. But one is, I'll just tell you what both of them are so you're prepared. Uh, the first one is, Who is your favorite pirate? Mm-hmm. And secondly, who is your favorite pirate that we probably don't know about? Ooh. It could be the same person, but I, I don't know that. So there's two questions: Who's your favorite pirate? Because I'm 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 a basic I'm a basic white boy. I like
2: <laughs> Blackbeard. Um, so the vast majority of pirates I know of are Golden Age pirates, which is the time period people are often thinking of—the 16 and 1700s. Um, but I think one of the most fascinating pirates. And I guess this person probably could qualify as both, but um, I really find um, the woman known as Madam Chang to be really fascinating um, yeah. from China, the South China Seas in the early 1800s. did she
0: have a fleet?
2: Yes. She had a fleet of like a thousand ships. She ruled ruled all these ships with her husband. (laughs) And when he died, she took over. She allowed women on the ships. Um, In fact, she was very strict about their safety to the point where um, if a man raped a woman or sexually assaulted her, they would get thrown overboard, um, executed right away. And she was so prolific as a pirate that the Chinese government had to pay her to retire because uh, they, they didn't have the resources <laughs> to fight her so she decides to retire and then she takes the money and opens a brothel like a series of brothels so and yeah. well you yeah, may enjoy you may enjoy
0: Thaddeus Russell's book because it's called the Renegade History of the United right. States
2: uh-huh. um
0: you may enjoy it simply because he you may not agree with all of his historical mm-hmm. conclusions um but he he's talking about all of these different um kind of on the margins the people mm-hmm. who kind of create culture and so he talks about pirates he talks about slaves he talks about uh-huh. brothel owners and i haven't read the whole book because i get about to the brothel section and i'm just like mm-hmm. uh, I'm a, I, I don't know for some reason i stopped there i've all i've tried to read it twice and i'm just like <laughs> oh i just can't handle this i got the papers um
1: what he talks but, about is the way that um prostitutes were part and parcel to the fabric of the way that things progressed in history and yes um oh God, they yeah. were very active during the revolutionary war yep. um especially in terms of like passing information yes. back and yes, forth yes, between yes. camps and um i i like to say that hookers built this country we, we have actually a shirt have a we have a t-shirt in our uh, store that's
2: shirt yeah <laughs>
0: we have that. we have it. two because I wanted to make a, 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 essentially a male version and a female version. So Perfect. we have, um, what is it, does it say hookers built this country?
1: It says hooky, hook, hookers built this country and it has Maddie Sachs on it. And, and then-, then
0: I, I, I took the image of, there's this old horrible Irish caricature uh-huh. of a man that looks assim, essentially like, like holding a, a bottle, on a, and he's on a bottle, uh, a keg of beer and it says Scalawags built this country.
2: Oh my gosh, that's yeah. awesome.
0: Um. So we we so when when I said I found you on TikTok, I'm kind of in your wheelhouse when it comes to this. <laughs> this is fascinating to me. Um. Uh-huh. So I will I will press slightly further because yes. I have heard of her. So, but I one of the people you mentioned that I'd not heard of was Ned something.
2: Ned Lowe. Edward this, Lowe.
0: This 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 fascinates me because I I'm not okay. So Jessica and I, I think it's the last year we're going to do it. But we did um, la- – I, for the last two years, her for, the, I think, the last five, did a horror movie challenge. Uh-huh. It was the 100 hundred Nights of Horror. And so it's 100 mo- oh. hundred horror movies every night. Na- you watch one every night, essentially, uh-huh. until Halloween. I decided I didn't want to do – I got about halfway through the thing, and I decided I don't want to do this next year. And so I said, I'm going to beat the hell out of this, <laughs> this contest, this, uh-huh. this challenge. And so I watched 113 Ooh, instead well of 100. And so, beat my record. You can't. Um, <laughs> you can't. But obviously, I, I have a, a, a morbid sense of curi- morbid curiosity. Yeah. Like, it's it's not that I love these things, but it, the brutality, the um, darkness of man perplexes me. Yeah. Because it's not in me. And so, right. um, a lot of people I've found can't really understand or believe certain stories of people today who are mm. monsters because they can't see themselves in that person. Right. And mm. they can't, they, they can't recognize they can't do the evil in their head. So mm. obviously no one else can. Yeah. And so I know that they can not because I have the evil inside of me, but because I I've seen enough evil and I've seen it play out enough to know right, that people are capable of abominable things. And so, um, <laughs> I, look into these things because the psychology of it is fascinating. Yeah. Like, how do you, and it's like, that's why when I see people talking about like mental, mental illness and mental health and they're like people who are mentally ill, uh, it's not tied to violence. And I, I understand that on the general scope, most people who have mental illness are not violent, Right. but it's like, clearly the people who are violent are mentally ill in some way. Cause that's not, that's abnormal. It's not normal. So All of that to say, tell me about this Ned guy because I'm fascinated.
2: (laughs) All right. So Edward Lowe, sometimes also known as Ned Lowe. That's kind of how I refer to him. He was one of the most sadistic pirates to have ever lived. And he was known for his brutality. And he, I mean, I am not a psychologist, psychiatrist. I don't believe in diagnosing historical figures. Um, I I find
0: that silly. I also find it silly when people do it to media figures or public figures now.
2: Yeah. Although I'm not... Although I'm not going to lie, my mom's a therapist. I'm always asking her to diagnose fictional characters <laughs> in TV and movies. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll, I'm not a huge fan of trying to diagnose historical characters because we'll, or historical figures because we'll never know. But he had to have been a sadist, you know, someone who takes pleasure in pain. And now mm-hmm. for the most part, pirates did have to rely on fear and intimidation. But you did have pirates who were very violent and very, very frightening. And these would be pirates such as Charles Vane, who was known to brutally beat up his victims to the point where they were like disabled. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear my dog snoring, but <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's been doing this like half the show. I'm so sorry. Aud-
0: audio listeners, that is a pug.
2: It's a pug. So you know. What is Pug's
0: name? I want to know the. Pippin. The pug's his name's
2: name. Pippin from Lord of oh,
0: Believe it I or love not. It. Okay. So this is a weird pet to have, but I have three of them. They're um, ball pythons. Oh, cool. And I have Pippin, who's our only boy. Uh huh. I've got um, Eowyn, who uh-huh. is our very mean girl.
2: Uh huh. Nice. And then <laughs> we have
0: Arwen, who's just a very sweet girl. Aww, and then our awesome. puppy, our puppy's name is Strider. I love so, it. Oh, Lord of the Rings menagerie. So, yeah. yeah. So it's that's that's our our pet theme. Amazing. And so also, I just want to say, when I sent you an email. And mm-hmm. I we were talking about the setup for the show and I was yeah. like, it's super easy, barely an inconvenience. You're <laughs> the first person who has ever clocked that I was quoting pitch meeting from screen yeah. rant.
2: My brother and introduced so, those to me like a couple of years ago. I think. I
0: do it, um, I do it in almost every email where I explain the process. I'll say it's super easy, barely an inconvenience. Yeah, I saw that You're I was the first like, person who's picked it up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did wonder, I was like, maybe just a coincidence. No, no way. No. Um, Okay. But back to these really violent pirates. So um, you have a few others. So you've got um, a lot of pirates, you know, try to use this fear and intimidation and punishment to subdue their victims, to get them to do what they want. But then you have some pirates who kind of appear to enjoy it. And Medlow is one of them. And this is because he became very infamous for um, maiming his victims. But not only that, what he would do is he would cut off things like the nose, the lips, or the ears, and he'd force the victims to eat it. Um, Yeah, and Why does that
0: make me think of those Vietnam stories?
2: It's intense. It's really intense, and you know, he would have people you know, completely flayed alive um, whipped until they practically were dead, and you know he did this indiscriminately, and then you have another pirate named George Louther, who isn't really that famous. He's a pirate who I probably would have maybe said is my favorite that no one knows. He was also very sadistic as well, and he would do something similar. Sam Bellamy is another pirate who a lot of people are like he's the robin hood of the seas he's one of the good guy pirates and he was until you refused to join his crew and then he'd order you to be tied up whipped and have hot wax dripped on you so oh there were pirates who didn't play real tactics but ned low to me is the most frightening because he of the way he would maim the victims and he's the only one that forces victims to eat their own body parts employing what's called forced cannibalism and this is it's horrifying it's
1: so, in- that's this so is one intense of your-
0: it's one of your favorite things, Jessica. Cannibalism. I do.
1: I, I find cannibalism <laughs> stories interesting. I'm very interested in like the Donner Party um, circumstances. I just read a like really this. good
2: book about the Donner Party. I think it was oh. called um, uh, the The Indifferent Stars Above. Okay, Donner Party. Read it. It goes into really great yeah. detail about the cannibalism.
1: I shouldn't um, sound so it?
2: excited about it, but it was so good.
1: No, I. So again, we, it's we abnormal psychology. Yeah, it's abnormal mm-hmm. psychology, and yeah, you yeah. do kind of wonder what makes that. We had a, a true crime podcaster on one time Mm -hmm. and we were talking about why, for example, so many women seem to be fascinated by these true crime stories because Uh really they're awful. And I think it's twofold. I think, um, I think we think we're going to solve evil if we understand it. Yeah, I think so. And secondly, we are by and large, their victims. I think we're trying to figure out our predator. Mm -hmm. And so I think, go ahead.
2: No, I was going to say, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, um, I've read some stuff about like, you know, evolutionary behavioralists or whatever, who are like, we're so fascinated by this because evolutionarily we had to understand every single threat in order to survive. And so this is kind of left over from that, like our fascination, understand it so we can survive. So I think you're exactly right. Um, Mm -hmm. this is one of the reasons why women in particular, there was even an SNL digital skit about it not too long ago, Saturday Night Live. Okay. It was called like Murder Show. Like, you know, I'm going to yeah. relax and watch my murder show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think this is one of the people reasons why people like pirates so much is because mm-hmm. of this brutality and really going against society. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry I interrupted you. But I'm just saying I totally no. agree.
1: Yeah, it's. I, I I think that there is a fascination with the dark things because of that. That we're yeah. going to. And I don't know what how cannibalism applies to that. I do do a lot of like outdoor hiking and outdoor activities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thought has crossed my mind of having to be in an alive situation, having right. to be in a, a hatchet situation. Yeah. Um. Have you ever seen the movie Ravenous? No, but it's
2: on my list of things to watch.
1: It is an incredible film. And yeah. it's right around your period right. of um, interest in as far as uh, timelines go mm-hmm. that um, like you'll really appreciate the the characters and the costuming and all that kind of stuff, too. So awesome. definite recommendation there. OK, um, awesome. I'm I'm perusing about Ned Lowe on Wikipedia here real quick. Uh-huh. And I'm noticing that he got um, put off of a boat with his allies in a mutiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that reminds me, of course, of William Bly and the mutiny on the bounty.
2: Right. I don't know um, too much about it. Do you not you don't know too much about Okay. Yeah, all right. I all right. <laughs> but I know, this, the name. Um, I know the story vaguely.
1: They, um, they put their captain off a ship. They mutinied and they put their captain off a ship. And then they sa- sailed the ship to an island somewhat off of Tahiti. Uh-huh. And today, the um, inhabitants, the, the Tahitian women and the men of the ship, have descendants that still live on Pitcairn Island to this day. Now, okay. when, you, when you do the math, as far as how many people were on the island originally, yeah. uh-huh. um, it doesn't work out without some consanguinous um, mating. Right. Right. <laughs> so there are some, yeah, there's some, uh, you know, things going on there, but um, there are so far 200 uh, descendants of mm-hmm. the original um, mutiny crew wow, that's uh, on pit island really fascinating history and yeah i did a deep t- i i watched there is a um anthony hopkins uh mm-hmm. film that came out in like 84 okay. about it that oh, kind of cool. got me fascinated about it but the the unsung hero of that story is the old bastard captain william bligh who got uh-huh. put off the ship for being just this uncompromising man right well, he he had 13 men in this little dinghy and sailed them thousands of miles across the open sea Mm -hmm. and got them home safely in a lifeboat. Wow. And that is a master of seamanship, sir. Yeah, that's very fascinating. The, the history, you know, the history tends to focus on the island and the Tahitian girls. And once he's mutinied off the ship, nobody pays attention to Captain Bly anymore. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he got those men home safely, most of them, one of them, one of them didn't make it. But really, right. like, given the circumstances, they were like, you know, shooting seagulls down and to eat and things right. of this nature. It is an incredible tale of sea survival Mm -hmm. which i think deserves its own movie yeah um but you know (laughs) they're not making movies based on what i think is interesting i think that'd be a
2: great one too
1: there'd be more donner party movies i think (laughs) if (laughs) if i
2: were in charge oh it's true it's true Yeah, (laughs) yeah they did a film um based on the book by nathaniel philbrook in the heart of the sea um, mm-hmm. which was, I don't know if you've read that. You'd like that if you're into the cannibalism because it's a true story of a failed whaling ex- expedition that actually okay. inspired Moby Dick, supposedly. And okay. these people have to resort to cannibalism to survive at sea. And the yeah. movie, I think it was a Ron Howard film, which is why this kind of makes sense. But the movie really sort of like minimized that and just <laughs> kind of showed more like the struggle in general of what it would be like right. to be stranded right. at sea. Um, but yeah, but that's another brutal one, actually. Yeah, I read that. And I think I said it's at four in the morning reading
1: it. If I really had to name why I find cannibalism so interesting is because there are very um primordial revulsions in yes. us toward mm-hmm. the eating of human flesh and for very good reason. We're not supposed to eat human flesh, it's not good for you. Right. Um, but the I don't circumstances only eat the brain. don't worry only oh yeah, because <laughs> definitely okay, if you're gonna eat human. Definitely don't eat the brain of all of it (laughs) because you get prion disease, which is like mad cow in human beings. But anyway, um, what I think is fascinating is uh, the tales of human survival that surround cannibalism circumstances. Mm. There are actually like great tales of bravery and love and things of this nature that more than the cannibalism, like the Donner Party, there's um, a husband who tries four times to get to his wife and children. Not mm-hmm. everybody in the Donner party succumbed to the temptations right. of cannibalism. Mm-hmm. People maintained their dignity throughout that. And then there's this tale of this husband who got through the pass originally and mm-hmm. tried four different times that winter to get up to his wife yeah. and children. Mm-hmm. That is a, a, a romantic uh, gesture like oh, I've yeah. never heard before. Yeah. So, um, Yes, I get um, labeled as a cannibal on Twitter and the internet, but really I'm interested in the the romance surrounding yeah. the party.
0: Um, so you, you one pirate you mentioned, you said that kind of in mass people talk about them as the Robin Hood of the sea. Mm, yeah. Is there, so I'll, the way we envision pirates typically is in uh, the villainous sense. They're mm-hmm. villains. Um, or or their uh, anti-heroes in the way of Jack Sparrow. Right. Um so would you say that there is someone who would equate to a Robin Hood of the sea or a pirate hero that you've hmm. you've studied or is it is is villainy kind of the the name of the game?
2: Oh, that's such a good question because there were pirates that considered themselves to be Robin Hood of the seas but then at the same time as pirates they are robbing ships and in most cases, not all, but most cases killing people as well. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would really subscribe to the idea of a pirate being a Robin hood of the sea. Like I know Sam Bellamy sort of considered himself to be this in a way because he of how fairly he distributed wages, but all pirates Mm -hmm. distributed wages really fairly. It was kind of like pretty standard and he was still very cruel to people if they wouldn't actually, um, Signed the pirate articles and become pirates. So, I mean, honestly, I, I I can't really think of one who I'd consider to be kind of a Robin Hood esque figure. I think it's just too, everything's just too complicated for that. Yeah. Um, I
0: think it's a lot easier in our day with our forms of piracy, not on the sea and not physical yeah. piracy, mm-hmm. but like um, Aaron, Schwar- Aaron Schwartz or, um, uh-huh what's his name? Uh, Julian Assange. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: You know, mm-hmm. the like I don't know if you know who Aaron Swartz is. He was one of the co-founders of Reddit. Yeah. But uh yeah. what he had decided at one point was that JSTOR, which I'm sure you're very Oh,
2: I know JSTOR. acquainted
0: with. Um that since it was information that was paid for in the re- research and all that was paid for by the public and it uh-huh. was paid for by the government that thus this is a public good and must be distributed for free right and so aaron swartz went into i forget maybe it was columbia i'm not sure which college it was or university it was and he went into their server room and he what he was doing was he was trying to download all of jstor Mm -hmm. and then to make it available to the world to have uh the americans have the information that they paid for Uh free and in their hands rather than having to pay tuition for it Uh and so uh of course they tried to take him down they tried to throw him in jail. Unfortunately, uh, both him and Julian Assange, who, you know, uh, showed the world, the, um, the horrible things that yeah, the government was doing in Afghanistan and Iraq and all of that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Aaron Swartz, when they tried to take him in, um, and take him to task and make an example out of him, he unfortunately killed himself before oh, they God, were able to do that. that. Wow. So like when I think of like modern day piracy, I do think of digital piracy. Right. And so it's very easy to see Aaron Swartz or Julian Assange or some of these other Edward Snowden, some of these characters that we know who are doing good things and fighting evil through piracy.
1: Right. But I
0: can definitely understand when you're actually, you know, stealing boats and slave ships that you know, it gets a, it's a little murky
2: yeah it gets, it gets really murky yeah like I can totally see I think it's easy for us nowadays to kind of be like oh like they're going against the man and they were doing this I think I'm just too right. deep in the research to really um <laughs> find a character who's super justified because it's like you know even yeah. the people today like S- Snowden and Assange and et cetera et cetera like you know they had to do shady things in order yeah. to mm-hmm. get the public going or to get um, the, you know, bring information, the information to the to public. public. Thank right. you. Bring the information to the public. Like, you know, they had to do shady things for it as well. Um, but mm-hmm. I think it's also like, it's, it is very easy for us though, to kind of like look at something and be like, yes, going against the man, helping the people, Robin Hood, that sort yeah. of thing.
1: I also find we have this fascination with pri- pirates the same way we have this fascination with Vikings and we think, right. Oh, how cool they are. You know, um, but I don't look really like a Viking either.
0: So this <laughs> definitely isn't a point of inf- interest for me at all.
1: Um, you know, and like shows like Vikings, like yeah. The Last Kingdom, they mm-hmm. kind of portray them as these great anti-heroes. They're sort yeah. of going against this really stodgy church and, um, you know, the... the right and proper uh, English type folks that primordially English right. type folks. Um, and so we have this image of them as sort of heroes, but when you really look at like what they were doing, they're mm-hmm. not, they're quite violent. They're yes. um, murdering people. They're stealing mm-hmm. from people. There's not really much redeemable quality there other than that. They're mysterious to us. Right. And they present that sort of mythological figure, but yeah. you know, guys, Vikings and pirates, in truth, not all that cool. Yeah, no, they were yeah. you know,
2: violent Jerks. people. And, yeah. you,
1: know, <laughs> you
2: know, a lot of people I know are like Vikings were pirates. I say they weren't. And this is because Vikings really focused a lot of their plunder on land. Um, yeah. and they were actually had to colonize and stuff like that. So they're sacking towns all over the British Isles and then parts of Europe and other parts of Scandinavia. Then, of course, going as far, colonizing Iceland and then even set kind of setting up camp in Newfoundland in North America Mm -hmm, for a mm -hmm. hot minute Mm -hmm. before leaving. But some may have stayed permanently. I think there were some reports of meeting um, blue eyed indigenous children or blue eyed indigenous people. So it suggests Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. there was some relationships between they got around indigenous people, but yeah, no, exactly. Like they're fascinating, Mm -hmm. fascinating people, but they, when you, when you really look at them, yeah, they were doing bad stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. You yeah, probably like, wouldn't like, want to meet one. Yeah. It's yeah, like cool to look blood, at it on a screen, but.
0: Yeah. Blood eagles probably didn't happen, but I don't know if you know what a, a, the Viking blood eagle is. It's a horrible mm, no. torture. Um, It probably didn't happen, but it came from something. Uh-huh. And so like, these are not, these probably aren't people to look up to. Right. Um, <laughs> One small point of interest that I found the other day is I, I, I read an article um, Leif Erikson came to America, but it was really Canada, but you know mm-hmm. the Americas yeah, yeah. and they found out that it was actually exactly a thousand years ago from the ship Oh
2: okay and they okay.
0: they found this out because they when they were looking in these these areas and they were looking at um, kind of this the proposed settlement where the, they stayed and the camp, yeah. they found these pieces of wood that had been cut, uh-huh. And so the indigenous people at that time had not used metal objects and these were trees that were felled by metal because it was impossible mm. to do it otherwise.
2: Okay, interesting.
0: And so what they did is they found these these shards and these different um, pieces of wood and they were able to tell by the rings what year it was because there was a certain solar phenomenon, solar flares that happened in only one year during that time. And they were able to count from that the rings out to the exact year, which was a thousand twenty one. Uh-huh. and so that was the earliest. And so that was the earliest discovery of America
2: uh-huh. uh,
0: from Europeans was Leif Erickson. And it was a thousand years ago.
2: That's so interesting. Exactly. I had no so, idea. That's so cool.
0: Yeah, I, I, I ran across that and I was like, that's that's too cool not to mention. Yeah. somewhere.
2: that's really interesting. <laughs>
0: Um, what, what's interesting to me, and this is not really a pirate thing, this is just kind of a human experience thing, is you can kind of see throughout history the people that um, mass media as well as your regular human find fascinating. So pirates, right. Vikings, cowboys. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking while y'all were talking, I think that that is the last one I can think of that we, besides maybe criminals, Mm-hmm. in the last 10 years gangsters. that yeah gangsters criminals um that has really caught the attention of the masses
2: right and so i, would I don't say know, hackers as well
0: yeah oh, i don't
2: hackers in there yeah because
0: yeah. that i was gonna gonna ask what i feel like there's kind of there's something but it's not as defined quite as cowboys mm-hmm. vikings pirates um crusaders i think there was a big interest in crusaders at one point
2: yes um, although that was kind of um government religious sponsored um holy like more holy wars i think knights templar are the yeah. figures that came out of the crusades people have been fascinated by
1: i don't yes, know so very know. much about knights templar though
0: yeah that's it i know that's that probably they got- a rabbit hole
1: they, they got very wealthy by presenting themselves as a uh, way to exchange currency yes. along the path to the Holy Land. Yeah. And the church got, you know, gold. Gold in their eyes, and decided they were gonna trump up a bunch of charges against the Templars. Yeah, which it's it's you know debatable whether that was, they were true or not.
2: Um, some of them
1: are like devil worship and stuff like that, which are interesting. You know, I think a little so far-fetched.
2: that's where all the weird stuff that I've heard about Templars comes from, <laughs> right? Church so the propaganda.
1: Tr- the, the yeah, the Pope <laughs> at the time really got it in his head that you know if he could trump up these charges against the Templars, bring that organization down, then the church could take over the Um, ownership of this money. However um, they were organized enough of a group that a lot of this fortune got spirited away. So there's Mm -hmm. this kind of Templar treasure legend, um, which uh, you know is connected in a way to Vikings, or not Vikings, uh, pirates. Because we also sort of have this idea that there are these vast pirate caches Mm-hmm. That pirates got killed, um, you know were, were put put to death by the right. authorities before they could ever go back and get them. Mm-hmm. So even to this day, you have people who go out you know um, Oak Island. Uh, the guys Uh from oak island yep i don't know that show just seems to be every episode is like we're gonna find something next week right yeah it's been going on for like 10 years um (laughs) i don't know that they're gonna get anything but there is a continuous fascination with the the pirate the elusive pirate booty it's really
2: fascinating and there's also like a lot of fascination with pirates and i think these types of people because they very much went not only just went against society, but they actually broke through a lot of social barriers. So yeah, pirates in the 16th or the 17th and 18th centuries, you know, your social standing, your social status was finite. Like um, oh, yeah, um if, if you were poor, your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren would be poor. Your father, mm-hmm. grandfather, great-grandfather were poor. Pirates transcended this because they were pirates who started out poor and actually could, if they survived piracy, um, they could actually leave Pretty decently wealthy. And so this was really, really fascinating. Um, in terms of pirate treasure, anyone who knows me, I am the queen of saying buried treasure is a myth. And okay. there is, and whenever I say that, the first thing people do is throw a Wikipedia article about, at me about Captain Kidd. So the rumor of buried treasure really starts with Captain Kidd. And he, when he, he was a, a privateer accused of piracy, for robbing the wrong ship in the East Indies in 1698. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was wanted, you know, the British had to really make a big show of this. So that way they could prove to the Indian Mughals, the elite merchant class that they were protecting trade. So there's a big manhunt for kid and he's arrested thrown in jail. and he writes to his friend, the governor of New York and Massachusetts, Lord Bellamont, who had actually betrayed him because Lord Bellamont didn't want to be associated with a possible pirate anymore. He writes mm-hmm, Bellamont mm-hmm. saying, hey, I, all the treasure, all the goods I got from that ship, I, I took to Gardner's Island and it's all there. And mm-hmm. even the guy who kind of ran Gardner's Island, John Gardner was like, oh yeah, absolutely true. But then when they went to go find it, there's nothing there. And mm-hmm. um, you know, they questioned his wife, questioned the servants, They even arrested his wife um, trying to find it. But then they're like, no, there actually isn't anything. But this really got wind. Like um, a lot of people got wind of this and it became like the big thing, like trying to find Captain Kidd's lost treasure. There was no treasure. He was just saying this. He probably had some riches that sure, he did kind of put, maybe somehow put away for safekeeping, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it didn't make it to New York before he was captured um, by a piracy. His home was in New York, but he didn't make it there so there was no way he could have actually hidden anything there we're not sure why it was listed we're not sure why john gardner said that kid put stuff there maybe he was hoping to get a reward but this is where a lot of the rumors kind of come about the reality is pirates didn't bury anything because there was no reason to it's as simple as that they and they were after goods that they could sell about 50 percent of the goods that they would steal were goods that they could sell and the other 50 percent were provisions to kind of restock their own ship.
1: Right, right.
2: Uh, yeah. And in fact, in the 1700s, the word treasure just meant valuable. It doesn't mean kind of the gold and jewels that we think. It was very rare for ships right. to carry those types of items. Like the Spanish *Orca de Lima*, which was a really famed treasure ship that crossed on St. Augustine, Florida. That one um, was full of gold, but that's very much the exception to the rule. But mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. makes for great rumors, though. But yeah. the Wikipedia article that says he buried treasure... Uh, the books that they cite in that particular spot are very bad books, <laughs> full of um, like fictionalized stuff. I Do I need I to edit that. the
0: Wikipedia for you?
2: I, yeah, you might need to. <laughs>
0: so that's you speaking of that myth uh, makes me wonder because I mean I think that a lot of what ends up going on on your TikTok in a lot of ways is myth busting in a mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, what? what are the kind of the bigger myths and the ones that you think people should have corrected?
2: Well, the buried treasure one for one. <laughs> That's a big one uh, that pirates did not bury treasure. There are I think like the big thing is that um, there's kind of like this sort of mythology of pirates that they were just sort of like these renegade heroes that like went against the man. And the reality is like, a lot of them really were just out for themselves. And you know, they murdered and killed people that can't yeah. ever be denied like they weren't like these really great people that a lot of people think that they might have been um mm-hmm. i'm trying to think of like a lots of other like myth big myth busting things you know i think one of the big things i'm also trying to i always i always say is that there wasn't really an idea of women being bad luck on ships that it's kind of been played up i mean sure there are probably some that believe that but Like I said before, it was really just an issue where they felt that women might cause problems on ships. But the reality is ships are gendered with female pronouns. You know, captains could bring their wives sometimes, you know, sometimes women worked on ships, you know, in the kitchens and that sort of thing. So um, that's another big myth, I think. But the biggest thing I'm also trying to prove is that something for people to remember is that the vast majority of pirates, like the ones that were extremely violent and horrifying were very much the exception to the rule. The vast majority of pirates were regular people who wanted to work for a year or two as a pirate, get wealthy quick, go home and mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. retire nicely. Most of them would not do this though. Most of them would either get killed or um, either in battle or most likely either illness or injury on the ship. Mm, it's a dangerous mm-hmm, line of work mm-hmm, no matter what, or they would be captured and then executed So for piracy. So, um, but that's kind of the reality. The vast majority of pirates, honestly, were just regular people looking to make some quick money and retire quickly. Yeah. That's a big thing I'm, I try to tell people. Like People are like, what's the most number one thing people should know? And I'm like, kind of boring, but... <laughs> yeah <laughs> well,
0: uh it's a i don't i don't I don't think it's the same question, but if you were to tell some people what we can personally learn from pirates, is there anything that sticks out that you would say this is something you can take away and either apply to your life or um just go come away with a better understanding of mm. humanity, perhaps
2: I think oh, that's such a good question. No one's asked me this before. Um nice. I think the study of pirates or just kind of looking at pirates is a really good way uh in a way trying to understand a lot of nuance in humanity if you kind of want to understand how a lot of societies work really look at a pirate ship because they were very egalitarian you could um vote for a captain people had to say lots you know they even had a jury system um yeah. people got compensated for illness and injury on the ship and equal distribution of goods. And it's interesting to look at that, not just because of this like utopian way, but to show just how different it was from 18th Mm. century society. And so Mm -hmm. you can kind of see, I think a cool thing you take away from piracy is just showing how there were so um, these kind of different social groups and how they were able to thrive. So you can kind of see an example of these sort of like, not quite, I don't want to say marginalized for them, but I would say subversive groups to kind of show that, you know, they're, they did have this big impact, um, yeah, in the world. I don't know if I'm explaining yeah. this very well. I'm trying to do no, well, it as best as I can. No, well, it, it, it
0: does seem like kind of an example of like spontaneous order,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, or um, bottom up,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: yeah, it is collaboration, up yeah, rather than rather than top down, which you right. know the polite society is top down, very much. But a pirate ship would. I mean, there, of course, is that your authority figures, yeah. but they don't live if they don't listen to the people.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. And so
0: I, I find that fascinating. And I think yeah. that that I do think that that is something that's very interesting about humanity is, mm-hmm. you know, of course, pirates aren't the greatest when it comes to living a long life. Yeah. But the uh, the beauty of that spontaneous order yeah. is it's something that I really appreciate.
2: And to mm-hmm. piggyback off that, um, this kind of reminded me of another big point, um, that I think you can take away from pirates is also, um, in terms of history, you can argue that, you know, kind of like what you were saying a minute ago about how um, hookers made America. Pirates, Mm -hmm. you could also say made America as well, because pirates Mm -hmm. played a very important role in terms of helping local economies grow, getting goods in, government intervention. And one of the big things that actually started to anger colonists against Britain was the fact that they were no longer able to deal with pirates and they had to change their laws and the way they practice mm. it. Um, mm-hmm. Something I remember I tried to argue in my thesis was that oh like this even sparked kind of early ideas of autonomy from Britain and my supervisors were like no 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 too big of an argument but then Mark Hanna um, in 2015 um, let's see if I can reach this, published this book Pirateness and the Rise of British Empire and that's exactly what he argues. And so I was able to use his book and prove my point. But um, this book is very good. It's very extensive. Um, he's also a very nice guy. So I met him once and he gave me some help. It was really nice. Um, but he talks about a lot of this, about how pirates played a really significant role, both on land, um, just as much on land and on sea, and that they actually did play a really important role in helping colonies develop um Mm -hmm. in a lot of their own way so that's another thing takeaway from pirates is that you know it's very nuanced they were you know this they were bad guys however they were very significant there are historians who are like ah, piracy's passe blah blah but there are also those of us who study pirates and are like no they actually did play a very important role in many different ways right
0: how many and this is just a one-off short answer were there many scottish pirates
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. Scotland's got a big pirate history. In fact, Captain Kidd was Scottish. He was from Dundee. Okay. Robert Louis Stevenson, okay. who wrote Treasure Island, was Scottish. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, Scotland um, has a huge pirate history. I, a very, very maritime-based yeah. country.
0: And that what's interesting to me, um, there's a book, uh, I think his name is Ar- by Arthur Herman, called How the Scots Built the Modern World.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that book. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, And, uh, like, that's one of those things that I find, because, you like, if I were to tell you the breakdown of my DNA, it's, um, Irish, Scottish, uh, I'll say Viking, um, German, but it's like, except for the German, it's like the other three are like the freedom loving people mm-hmm. that came to America. Right. right. <laughs> and so it's the Scots and the the history of America and how they kind of push certain things is fascinating. And I know pirates did as well. And it's mm-hmm. the fringes are often like what Thaddeus Russell um argues, it's the fringes yeah. and the margins that create culture
1: mm-hmm. and create uh, yeah.
0: history and in, in oh, certain yes. um certain patterns that we see even today. And oh, so absolutely. that's fascinating to me.
2: Yeah. I like I know a lot of like kind of what you're saying about there's top-down history, but to kind of piggyback off what you're just saying, like, yeah, I absolutely agree with you in that it's the marginalized folks that really kind of create our culture and civilization. Mm -hmm. I mean, just think about a lot of the food that we like. A lot of our favorite foods were peasant food, food that wealthy people wouldn't touch, you know. Um, For instance, ale, uh, beer was more for peasants, wine was more for the upper class. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. In terms of bread, white bread was for the upper class, but, um, you know, whole grain bread was for the lower class who couldn't afford to have refined flour. So, you know, even food, um, like in terms of British food, like things like um, meat pies, et cetera, et cetera, those were packed deliberately like that so you could carry them with you long distances yep. um, in a way. And we love that food. Peasant, so you're absolutely right. Totally, I'm just saying I totally agree with you.
0: Yeah, well, and uh, that my, my saying uh, when it comes to like food and drink and stuff is if you wanna find the freedom loving people, find the people with the best whiskey.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> there you go.
0: I mean um, the Irish, the Scottish and yep. the people up in the hollers in Kentucky, those mm-hmm. people loved freedom and they have the, be- <laughs> like I drank this rum my folks. and I realized I don't like rum anymore because I've been on this bourbon kick for so long. Oh like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Past. I, I just drank that and I was like, Oh, give me my bourbon back, please. <laughs> 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 um, so typically uh, we're, we're hitting about an hour and a half mm-hmm. which is the, the typical cutoff point. Um, I've loved talking to you by the way like this, this has is been a fascinating lot fun. to me.
2: This has been um, a really great yeah. discussion just overall like we've gotten to a lot of stuff I don't get to talk about very often so this, you guys have been really fun to talk yay to. oh
1: Thank good you.
0: okay um, one, one of the, this show uh, kind of the cornerstone is it, of it is hope. Because I don't know if you've looked around the world in the last year and a half. <laughs> people people like are depressed. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And there's there's a lot of that through history. But yeah. uh, we believe in hope. And we believe in seeing yeah. the silver lining. Yes. Or what some people call the white pill. Yes. Um. And so we always like to ask the people who come on our show, okay. what is something now in your life, globally, even historically, whatever yeah. you want to hit, that gives you hope and motivation to carry on.
2: Yes, and I can answer that immediately because it's a, something I always tell myself as a historian whenever bad things are happening. Yeah. Every single terrible thing that happened, that's happening right now, in the world, none of it is new, and we've always gotten through it, and society has always come through it. Pandemic, I
1: love
2: that. pandemic, climate change, corrupt government, social unrest—we, it's all cyclical. It's all a pattern. All of this stuff happens around the same time. It's all kind of a big, perfect. If you look at any pattern throughout world, you know, human history, but we've always gotten through it. We've always come out the other side, but we never quite learn from it. That's the only thing. But that's something <laughs> I always say is I'm like, everything that's happened has happened before and we always got through it. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's the, so, so many people react to things like this with despair mm-hmm. and I'm one of those people who, uh, I used to be a cynic, but really I, I I ditched that because it just made me depressed. And I'm an yeah. optimist mm-hmm. because after every bad thing, like uh, let's say um, the fall of the Soviet Union, yeah, the, there was a time period, which they're doing, a, a lot of those places are doing a lot better now, mm-hmm. but there was a time period where there were people with nothing who got the chance to grow and create the yeah. new mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is such a beautiful idea to me. That even after all of this, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: we're going to have the chance to build something new and possibly better. And we have to be very intentional about building the better.
2: Right. Like Mm -hmm. every bad thing that's happening, I totally agree. Like, you know, I think all the bad stuff that's been going on, especially since March 2020, but frankly, in my opinion, 2016 and even before.
0: um, Oh, there's a long history of it. Oh, (laughs) a
2: long, long. It's been building for a while. But some silver linings that would, because I used to be that way, I used to be very much a cynic and I still fall into it a lot. And so I try to, one, always remind myself, we've gotten through this before, we'll get through it again. But the big thing that I try to think to myself is that we have never been more politically aware and knowledgeable now than we've ever been. And this is because of all the information now yes detrimental in a lot of ways however you know most people at least like my age when we were growing up we didn't know anything about the government we didn't care but now we know so much and that in a way is you know we're very we're a lot more informed than we've ever been in terms of the yeah. pandemic mm-hmm. if we're looking at the great Resignation and everything like this i think this is going to have to force a lot of the way that the job industry works um yeah. i'm hoping so i tend to get a bit hopeless and cynical about big corporations. Um, <laughs> but silly. I'm hoping that this is, that we're starting to see the actual effects that people have been ignoring about things like um, job security and workplace safety and um, work-life balance and, you know, a lot of the toxic yeah. toxic environments. I think it's really kind of pushed into the forefront how horrific our healthcare system is. Um, and also just, I mean, right now, what scares me the most, honestly, is the anti-science <laughs> trend, but that's not also, mm-hmm. that reminds me, it's nothing new. It's always been that way. <laughs> George Washington required his soldiers to be uh, inoculated against smallpox, and a lot of people left the army because of it um, to protest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's not new. It's happened before. <laughs> we'll get there until we'll, it, we'll it, through it happens we'll, again.
0: Yeah, we'll, and we'll be stronger. I just think it's, oh. it's, I, I, well, and I think that a lot of this stuff, I do think that there's some issue that occurs within this information age where we are thinking that we personally need to affect the whole world Yeah. where mm-hmm. really, I think a lot of people need to be able to bring it back down to their personal life and deal yeah. with their own stuff before mm-hmm. trying to fix the world because like
1: sweep around your own porch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but I, I, I love your answer because oh, it's you. true. We've, we've, we've kind of talked like, uh, we've talked about, uh, I think Russia and some of the stuff in previous episodes about yeah. this idea that we get to rebuild and how that's mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, and so I'm, I'm with you fully on that. Um, so with that, I appreciate you giving me your time and, um, and talking with us it was i i love learning things or like that little connection between Mm -hmm. letters of mark and reprisal and pirates Mm -hmm. even though i saw the word privateer my brain never made this connection quite that way Mm -hmm. and so that in and of itself made all of this conversation worth it to me so i appreciate you deeply
2: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much
0: Thank you for coming on. And so if people would like to find you, I have a list of things
2: mm-hmm. which
0: I'll rattle off. You tell me if I missed anything or if there's anything sure. you want to add. Sure. Um, so if you'd like to follow her on TikTok, which is where I found her, because uh, I'm on TikTok, because I'm hip. Um, you can follow her on TikTok at Pirate Becca Lex. Or is yes. it yeah, Becca Lex, okay. Yeah. Um, she's also on Twitter at Becca Lex, mm-hmm. very easy to find. Um, she has a, a book and I have it in the description. So if you want to buy it, all you have to do is scroll. Uh, it's called we love pirates. There's a longer subtitle, but I didn't really want it in the ticker. So I had to remember it off the top of my head. Um, but that's down in the description and she has a new book. Like she mentioned earlier called, uh, pirate Queens, the lives of Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed, which will be coming out in early 2022 at some point. Uh, she will let you know on her website at Rebecca, Hy- hyphen uh, simon.com mm-hmm. did i miss anything is there anything else you want to tell people
2: i think that's pretty much it um my book why we love pirates is available in bookstores paperback audible and also ebook you can buy it on amazon IndieBound, everything like that and um uh, yeah so and that's well, what and- it meant for a popular reader it's meant to be a fun read so awesome nice. well and that's
0: what's good is i love it when they have it on audible and kindle because mm-hmm. one, I, I don't know if I, I didn't mention this to you. I have five children.
2: Really? Wow. <laughs> I, got, I have um, five siblings, two step technically, but I'm also from yep. a big family.
0: <laughs> so I have five of them. And so when I read, I often have to do it in the dark. So it's Kindle and I'm ADHD enough that yeah. I can't pay attention. And so I'll often use my audible credit at the same time and get mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. So when I buy your book, it will be probably both versions.
2: Oh, awesome. And I recommend yeah.
0: anyone who can't pay attention to the written word without starting thinking about something else, <laughs> great way to bypass that.
2: They got a really good reader for the book as well. Okay. It's not me. They, they got a pro to do it. Um, um, good, nice. good thing. Um, and she's a really book, good reader.
0: One book I'll recommend to you based purely off of, well, not purely off of, partially based off of the reader that they um, did for the Audible uh-huh. was Michael Malice wrote a book called um, Dear Reader Dear Reader the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il.
2: Oh, okay. And it's,
0: the, it's, he, he took on, he wrote it as Kim Jong-il and he went over to North Korea and he studied things and read stuff. Americans oh, aren't supposed wow. to read wow. and retold that story through Kim Jong-il's voice. And so if you're, if you're, if you are interested in anything like that, the whole book is fascinating in the way mm-hmm. that they see these people, the last, and I'll say it from the audible the last four minutes maybe the most heartbreaking thing you ever read. Oh,
2: interesting. Okay. Yeah. I've gotten so, really into audiobooks over the pandemic. So
0: I, pandemic I recommend, out, but, uh, I recommend that one. I don't have a book to show, but that is my recommendation for you.
2: Awesome. Thank <laughs> you so much.
0: So again, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I will uh, pop you out of here and then I'll get to my boring stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, but like I said, thank you very much. I enjoyed You're this welcome. heavily. And honestly, when your book comes out, your new book comes out, and you want to, if you want to come back and talk about certain things and go deeper on
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, Mary Reed and Ann Bonnie,
2: yeah.
0: That's oh, great. Well.
2: Oh, I'd yeah. be happy to. I'd be happy to. Yeah. Uh, next month is when I'll find out when it'll be released and I'll do an announcement. But yes, I'd be more than happy to.
0: Wonderful. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, you're
2: welcome.
0: Uh, we'll see you. We'll see you in a bit.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. The rest of you filthy scalawags. It's time to go through my list of things to go over (laughs) that you remember. Um, First off, I'm going to tell you about our guest list for the next month. We have an interesting set. We're finishing up. I didn't realize this before I booked everyone, but three out of four of November's shows are all PhDs. So we had the nuclear scientist. We had the pirate historian. Next week, uh, Dr. Kate Cheryl from Burials and Beyond is going to come back and she's going to talk to us about um, Victorian Gothic spiritualism, which I think is also fairly fascinating because Charles Dickens, who wrote uh, the story of Scrooge, was a Gothic spiritualist. And so I'm going to bring that up and I want to talk about that. Uh, Beyond that, we have our shark attack victim, uh, Shannon Ainsley coming on. Uh, Shark uh,
1: attack victor.
0: Victor, you're right. You're right. I misspoke. Um, (laughs) After that, we have Troy Frazier from Revive Studios coming in to start off our Christmas season, and we're going to talk about the real, or at least the legend, of St. Nicholas and who Mm -hmm. he was as compared to Santa Claus. And then uh, Cody Cook and Ryan Burgett are back to talk about Nephilim, which is something that's not talked about much, and it's especially in connection to Advent and... Uh, its juxtaposition against the incarnation in uh, Christian theology. So that should be a fascinating thing. Beyond that, let's talk about all of the things that you need to do to make me happy. Um, First (laughs) off, follow me on Twitter at Cam Harless. Follow Jessica. She just hit 10K today. Follow her at Soup Canarchist. Uh, If you would like To really help us out, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash themadones. Special thing for the patrons that exist now and the ones for the future. Our Christmas party, which we will be pre-recording early for December. If you're a patron, we're going to let you into that. No one else will be able to see it before the mid-December. You'll Mm -hmm. be able to comment and become a part of the party. Join us for that. As well as our entire backlog of 116 episodes aside from this one. We're on rockfin.com/slash/the-mad-ones, patreon.com/slash/the-mad-ones, youtube.com/slash/the-mad-ones. Uh, we have t-shirts and mugs. Uh, the mugs will be in the tweet and in the description. I think it's themadoneshop.etsy.com if you want a mug, if you want a shirt or other things like that. Uh, we are themadones.com/slash/store. We're on Odyssey. I, I don't know what else to tell you. We're on everything. Just type in the Mad Ones. Type in my name, you'll find it, or Jessica's name. Some of these places, they want to take you to a musical. And I don't like musicals, but it, type in a name. Type in my name. You'll find it. So beyond that, that's all I have for you. It's all Jessica has for you. She probably needs to pee. Um,
1: I peed before the show today.
0: You, you're growing up. You're maturing. So with <laughs> that, uh, you you have a chance to shine a light on the world. You know, light it up.